1924, Paul Amadeus Dinak, a German language teacher living in Greece, became gravely ill. Dying of tuberculosis, he wanted to return home to his country of origin, Switzerland. But before he left, he gave hundreds of pages of his own handwritten notes to his favorite language student, Georgios Papahatsis. Dinoch thought translating his notes would help Papahatsis in his study of the German language. They said goodbye and never saw each other again. Papahatsis began to translate the pages. As he did, he wasn't sure if he was reading the greatest novel he'd ever laid his eyes on or the rantings of a lunatic. There were whole passages about a coming nuclear war, colonizing Mars and a global government. Sections about flying vehicles, holographic technology, and even contact with alien life. Papa Hatzis thought that it had to be a science fiction novel. But as more and more of the text was revealed as he translated it, Papa Hatzis was shocked at what he discovered. This wasn't a novel at all. This was actually Dinoch's personal diary. Dinoch wrote about how he went into a coma and woke up 2,000 years in the future. According to the words written in these pages, Paul Amadeus Dinoch had experienced some kind of time slip that caused him to fall asleep in the year 1921 and wake up in the year 39. He spent an entire year in the future. Everything that he saw, felt, and heard was written down. This is his story. Hey, all you clairvoyants and time travelers, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, the podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, dude. Dude, I can hardly even just hold it in any longer. Mm -hmm. I've been so excited about bringing this story not only to our listeners, but to you. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's listening to the show or anybody that has listened to the show this long should know something that I'm not really the greatest at like keeping surprises and to myself. Well, uh, if you're not the greatest, I'm even worse. Well, you're definitely the worst, especially <laughs> at spoiling TV shows, movies, mm-hmm. books, endings, whatever. Mm-hmm. But ever since I stumbled across this story, I just knew that it was something that... We had to talk about, man. It's got all of the elements of everything that I love. And on the surface, seems like one thing. But then as we're all going to kind of come to find out, it's a lot more complex than, than I even initially thought. So Yeah, and, and, and I, real quick, sorry. Uh, okay. Oh. <laughs> listen, this is going to be a very woody-heavy show because uh, you're, you've got the reins. Yeah, I made you, like, not look anything up. So Yeah. 
exactly. I do have to say the like several sentences you you've mentioned, you know, you've told me about. I I'm in for a treat because I usually I'm the one that's showing you stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty psyched today because I have never heard of this story. And I was thinking, well, since I've never heard of it, maybe it's just like a little one-off kind of deal. And so I started looking in a similar area and we got like five more show ideas. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it, it's going to be awesome. Let's get in. All right, man. Let's dive straight in folks. Now, so I think it's important. Let's talk a little bit about who this Paul Amadeus Dinoch was. All right, let's give some historical context. So Paul Amadeus Dinoch was born in Zurich, Switzerland in 1884. Ever since he was like a little kid, he'd always dreamt of being a teacher, an educator. It's like what his passion was from birth. Mm. And so that's what he went to school for. And after finishing you know, his studies, getting his degrees, he became a teacher of German and French language. So in 1917, Dinoch fell ill with this disease that, I mean, crazy enough, kind of sounds slightly familiar, but I had never heard of it actually. And it's called encephalitis lethargica. Mm-hmm. It's um, more commonly known as the sleeping illness. Now, between the years of 1916 and 1924, there was a little bit of a epidemic around Europe with this disease. And basically, the symptoms of it were anybody that got the disease would fall into coma for different periods of time, sometimes long, sometimes short. And, you know, sometimes the people would wake up and sometimes they never would. Wow. So pretty scary. So so would you have to, and I'm not going to do this the whole I time, but... <laughs> what the cure was, but apparently there was one, or maybe there wasn't. I didn't research that part. Man, new song. Press pause. Let's, go, let's lay this thing down. <laughs> uh, no, is... So they just kind of like... I mean, it wasn't like unconscious, but they just it wasn't like narcolepsy. It was more like they would be like Like in a coma, symptomatically like super lethargic, really, really sleepy, had difficulty like communicating with other people. Sometimes Uh, I said the word communicating weird. So um, they and then so that they would be super tired. People, oh, you know, hey, Paul, you look a little sleepy. Go lay down. And then they would just be out for and again, it varied in, in terms of length. Okay. Mm. Uh, Sometimes it would just be a few minutes. Other times it would be for days on end. And one thing that he did know and remembered was that whenever he was out because of this, or sleeping, I guess, he could never remember having any dreams at all, which Mm. is pretty interesting. And and when you're saying like sleep, you mean like actually sleeping? Can't can't wake him up. Yeah, dude, a coma. Or in like a coma almost. In a coma. Wow. Just like... They appear yeah. to be normally sleeping, but they also just don't wake up. Hmm. Very scary. So in his youth, Paul fell in love with a girl in his village named Anna. They had met in school and stuff, and their families were kind of, you know, friendly toward one another, and so they knew of each other. And essentially, it was kind of a little bit of like a Romeo and Juliet situation, though, because although Anna felt the same way uh, about Dinoch, her father wanted her to marry somebody else. Mm. So they kind of kept their love for each other secret, and they would kind of meet in a special location within this uh, local park that their families would often go to when they were much younger. Only Anna's best friend, Amelia, knew of their love. Mm -hmm. My daughter's name. 
my wife's name's Anne. Your daughter's name's Amelia. There's all kinds of synchronicity in this thing. Just wait. Wait a minute, so, real quick. And again, I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry. No, no, no. Can you please tell them, like, just take us five seconds oh my to gosh, tell them dude. about the crazy synchronicity? Are you talking about, like, this, the, the old newspaper thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so, we, we paused this discussion of Paul Amadeus Dinoch for just a second. So the other day I discovered this website that you can go to to kind of look up old newspaper archives starting in 1800 to now all around the world. So mm-hmm. tons and tons of old newspaper archives, you know, digitally um, copied and uploaded into the Internet. And you can search by word or even names or cities. So, you know, just like I guess the first time there was ever a search engine, I was like, I don't know what to look up. How about Woody Brown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I type in Woody Brown and I hit enter. And the the craziest thing happened in the search results from a newspaper in, what was it, like 1854, something like that? Yeah, something like that. In an Australian newspaper. God, again, with is, the Australia. Yeah, no. <laughs> Australian newspaper, there was a wedding announcement for a, na- a man named Woody Brown marrying a girl named Elizabeth Ann Brown. Now, my wife's name is Ann, but what you don't know is her name is Ann Elizabeth Brown. Forget about synchronicity. Forget about just how crazy that is. Let's just talk odds, okay? Let's just talk, if you were a gambling man, yeah. what would the odds be that you would ever find another Woody Brown and Ann Brown anywhere. Almost impossible, I would say. So in other words, I'm pretty sure I found a newspaper article about when me and Ann went time traveling. So mm, like that, yeah. That actually, I'm glad you brought that up because there could be some some uh like there, there could be some connective tissue here parallels. between that, some parallels between that and what we're gonna talk about today. Ooh, so. okay, good. Anyway. See, I did it on purpose. So, yeah, I know, man. It's just, you know. Uh okay, so. Back to Dinoch and Anna, his love. So only Anna's best friend, Amelia, knew about this kind of, uh, these star-crossed lovers, we'll call them. And in his journal, which I have a copy of, by the way, Dinoch says, quote, Nobody knew about our love back then. No one except her best friend, Amelia. I had not even told my mother, my own best friend, my hero. How much has she been through herself with my misfortunes and my sickness? And then in the next entry, December 4th, 1918. Our secret happiness lasted several months. I did not recall what season it was. Did other people talk about us? I don't recall that either. The only thing I do recall is you. My every future plan, my every thought, my every hope was formed by you. Then I was offered the position at that school. I took it as a good sign and was quite happy since I was financially independent and was able to see her every three months. Then another year passed. Her mother died. I had finally saved some money to start my life with her. She used to write to me saying she was very sad. I assumed that her mother's recent death was the reason. I was mistaken. So a local man, essentially, uh, while... Dinoch is off. He's got this teaching job now. And this is before he, uh, you know, he moves to uh, to Greece, like you heard in the intro. Well, so he said like his like health, though, like his mom. Yeah. So like because of his, the sleeping illness, right? 
had started back in 1917. This oh, it like a year later. Okay. Yeah, so this is like a, a year later, and he's writing in his this first journal. And is it like kind of intermittent? Like it comes on mm-hmm. and then goes kind of thing? The sleeping or? illness? Yeah, you yeah. never know when it's going to strike, essentially. Jeez. So he's got this teaching job that's kind of close by. You, you know, it's not... Um, it's not in their village, but, you know, it, it's more in the metropolitan area. And he's, like, saving up. He's, he's getting proud because he's, he's going to be able to, you know, provide for Anna and hopefully their family and stuff. Because he knows mm-hmm. that, like, that to her father, it matters that whoever she marries is able to financially provide for them, right? Like my father-in-law. And not too dissimilar to a lot of father-in-laws, right? So... Essentially, a local man had befriended Anna's father and kind of really over-exaggerated his financial situation and asked for Anna's hand in marriage. Dinoch kind of hears a rumor of this, and of course it completely breaks his heart. And so he goes back home and meets with Anna. You know, falls back I, I, asleep. No, he meets with Anna. They're just standing there. He just falls to the ground sleeping. She's like, what does this guy <laughs> think I'm supposed to do here? Wait, okay. So they meet at that secret location in that park. Mm-hmm. Specifically, it was this hill that was always filled with like these blossoming, what do you call wind flowers, which are kind of like buttercups. And what the hell is a buttercup? But a butter, butter Buttercup? Like it's a type of flower. It's like a white flower. Never heard of a buttercup? No. I mean, I've heard of like like a... Peanut butter cup. I love butter stuff. Butter cup. Dang it. Butter not cup. Cup. Just stop. Okay. Well, while they're there, she convinces him that there's no way she's going to let her parents force her to marry this dude. And I'm going to quote another entry in his journal. It says, For the rest of my life, no matter how long that will be, the memory of her that night, the last time I ever saw her, standing in front of me, will always be fresh and vivid in my mind. She wasn't sad. On the contrary, she was full of optimism. She was laughing. I couldn't stop gazing at her. We were on our hill. I pressed my lips against her hair. Around us, only blossoming windflowers. Enough for today, she said. Let's go back. I have to be home early. Next time we're here, I'll make a wreath of windflowers. Will you place it on my head? At that point, he agreed to. He asked her, promise me that I will see you again, that they're not going to bend you. She answers with, we will come here again. I swear to you that we'll come back. Now, Mm. she ends up marrying the man. Internally tortured, of course, but doing so to please her family. It happened kind of right after her mom passed away, actually. And... Dinoch thinks that part of the reason that she agreed to it was to, you know, maybe her dad sort of used that as a means to be like, you know, this would make your mom happy. Yeah. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, to see you married and, and all that. But this is something that tormented him forever. And, and it was something that he noted that he was constantly praying for signs uh, of Anna's eternal love for him because how could she marry this guy? Well... Two years after the wedding, she died. In May of 1921, Dynek's illness began to worsen. And in fact, he ends up being hospitalized. He started getting this like terrible high fever and kind of is beginning to come in and out of consciousness. 
Through his fever-induced kind of blurry vision, he remembers seeing different men and women gathering around him in the hospital, but he was way too weak uh, to communicate with them. When he finally regains consciousness, he notices something strange. His hospital room is different. The medical staff that are kind of coming in and out are dressed in unfamiliar clothing. And he notices that they're speaking a strange language, a language that he can't understand or recognize, really. But being both a student and teacher of languages, he was able to recognize a few words here and there that resembled both Swedish and English. Hmm. So at this point, he tries to communicate, but no one can understand him at all. And they kind of just give him these like weird sort of like puzzling looks. One of the older physicians, however, recognizes some of Dinoch's words and using some broken German, tells Dinoch that his name is actually Andreas Northam. Hmm. Obviously, Dinoch's like, uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> the doctor proceeds to tell him that he is this renowned physics professor who had had a terrible accident. Dinoch terrifyingly explains that he doesn't know who this Andreas Northam is. He doesn't know anything, what this guy's talking about. He, he begins to try to explain to the doctor that there must be some sort of misunderstanding. Obviously, he's like just hysterical. The doctor calls a nurse over who brings over a mirror, turns it towards Dinoch, and as Dinoch peers into the mirror, he's looking back at a reflection of a complete stranger. Oh my gosh. He doesn't even recognize his own reflection, dude. I so, mean, is this like reverse dude, this reincarnation? Is, I, I'm telling you, man, this is, I, and I'm just going to say this here, folks, we're going to talk about some really crazy stuff today. This is literally the craziest thing I've come across in a long time, and it's going to be close to impossible for me to really go through everything that he details, mm. but I'm going to do my best. I kind of summarized a good fair amount of it, but okay. So obviously, dude, if that happened to you or I or, or anyone listening right now, if you looked into the mirror right this second and it was just somebody else there, it would be like your 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 mind could not comprehend that, right? It would just right. wouldn't be able to like figure out what the heck was going on. So same things kind of happen in Dinoch here. He goes into this state of shock and panic. He becomes visibly upset. He's like crying hysterically. He thinks at this point that he must have died. You know, maybe this is heaven or worse that he's just gone completely insane. Between you know the hysterical sobs and, and panic, he cries out that he's just a simple language teacher from Switzerland, not this physicist, and he doesn't know what in the world has happened to him. The doctors in the room seem to have some sort of, like, reaction when he says the word Switzerland. It's like they kind of look at each other like, hmm? They recognize that. Someone asks him, what year is it? Dinoc kind of looks up and says, it's 1921. The entire room goes silent. Hmm. After a few quick seconds and some kind of shared glances with the other doctors, the older physician steps forward and tells Dinoc that the year is actually 39 
06. Wow. Yeah. Dinoc, of course, uh, still isn't buying it, you know? I mean, again, if you put yourself in, in this guy's shoes, it's kind of like, okay. Like, where did Ashton Kochek popping his head in <laughs> to say that I'm on punked? You know, when is when's that happening? Oh, I thought you were referencing Butterfly Effect. <laughs> no. <laughs> At, around this time when, he, you know, he's just kind of sitting there in disbelief. The doctors are sort of just trying to comfort him and, and really honestly trying to keep this patient from just going ballistic. Mm-hmm. They, uh, one of the fellow physicians or orderlies or nurses or whatever decides to let some light in to the room. So she opens the blinds. When that happens, he can see out of this giant window and he sees these buildings that reach through the clouds. Listen to this, dude. Vehicles that are somehow defying the laws of gravity and zooming past the window. Mm. This becomes way too much for him to mentally handle, and he just blacks out. Falls back asleep, yeah. Hey, man. Can the guy just stay awake for a minute? No. <laughs> so he just blacks out. Dinox then observed by the doctors for the next three days, eventually kind of recovering enough to walk around and and sort of um, communicate a little bit. He's still kind of like keeping to himself and just sort of trying to make ends of all this. He, in the journal, describes these walls made of crystal that give you a panoramic view of the city or landscape surrounding this hospital. Objects that are made of this pastel-colored glowing metal that are warm to the touch. Still... I mean, is he talking about, like, computers or, like, Dude, a monitor? I mean, th- th- that's what it kind of sounds like to On me. On the first one, yeah. Yeah, like, these walls made of crystal, I think of, like, flat-screen televisions. Yeah, right. I'm thinking of... Or touchscreen. Yeah, touchscreen stuff. You know, computers that are kind of warm to the touch. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, again, he's still kind of staying pretty quiet. Eventually, he's led the physician that he... Uh, or that could understand him, leads him to this large room where he meets two older men that are dressed in these long white robes. At first, he kind of thinks that these are some sort of like priests or religious figures or maybe even some kind of like royalty or high government people. Again, he's kind of drawing from his own knowledge base, kind of like we talk about on this show where, you know, when people see or experience any kind of interaction with, you know, quote unquote, well, anything outside of their normal Mm-hmm. time or, or, or world, whether that is a cryptid creature or potentially... The other, like, as Timothy Renner would say. Yeah, just something else, creature or alien or, or whatever it is, they tend to kind of do so through the lens that their yeah. mind right. will allow, right? So that's his first thought, like, oh, okay, well, I guess they're taking me to church or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, he comes to learn that these are actually called electors with an eye. He learns that they're kind of like elder wise men. Up until this moment, the physicians that had been kind of observing him other than, you know, the one that was kind of communicating with him the most, didn't really believe that he was really from the past. They just thought this Andreas Northam guy had suffered, you know, some real intense brain trauma in the accident that had brought him into the hospital. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. After questioning and speaking with Enoch for a while, the electors actually began to believe his story and everything that he was telling them. Because, and this is when it starts to get real juicy, they have this knowledge of a rare phenomenon that they called 
a consciousness shift where someone's mind or soul could be transported into someone else's body. Based on their mm. conversation with Dinoc, this is what they believed kind of happened here. All right, listen to this. This is crazy. When Andreas Northam was in this accident, he was clinically dead for 15 minutes. Mm. So doctors had dropped the temperature of his brain and then they were able to restart his heart and the electors believed it was that moment specifically when the personality or life swap occurred wow. the mind of Paul Amadeus Dinoc was now transferred into the body of Andreas Northam almost 2,000 years into the future I mean that maybe that's how you do time travel you, you just your consciousness kind of just like shoots forward into the into the future or past and it just sort of takes on a new body. Well, it's funny that you you mentioned that because just like you, Dinoc was kind of intrigued by this idea. A genius. But he he <laughs> but he like presses the electors for a little bit more info on it. Like, okay, I like that's a cool idea, but how does that work? Right? Yeah. So they explained to him that time isn't linear and that there. everyone's consciousness exists all the time and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And although it's a rare phenomenon, it's something that has been known to happen, again, just not very frequently, but it can happen just, you know. Well, it's good to know that science finally catches up with us. Yeah, exactly. Now, at this point, a man named Stefan is summoned by the electors. Stefan was a very close friend of the real Andreas Northam. And so the electors theorized that Stefan would be one of the only people that would truly know, like, the dude's true identity. Along, besides the few physicians in the hospital who'd been able to understand Dinoc. And their idea, essentially, is that if Stefan can help Andreas regain his memories mm -hmm. from that 3906 existence that the personality shift could in fact be reversed, which would cause Dinoc to be sent back to his time, body, and existence. Mm. So like the idea being that like, if all of a sudden I wake up one morning and I'm just like, ah, and everyone's like, what's going on? And I'm like, no, I'm not this Woody Brown guy. They would be like, okay, this call Tyler. Sucks. Call Tyler, have him come over. And mm, then every right. day he's going to teach this Whoever's in, who's ever, whoever is driving Woody's body right now, he's going to teach him about the past with the idea being that maybe unlocking that memory will then kind of make everything right. Mm -hmm. And okay. here, here's something that's like really neat. One of the first thing that Andreas, I'm sorry, one of the first thing that Stefan notices is not only are mannerisms different and stuff. Of course, he still looks like his friend, but he, he like the way that he does certain things are completely different. His handwriting is completely different. Mm, that's weird. Yeah. Stefan does agree to kind of come visit every day to teach Dinoc about modern society. Um, is that a plug for our old band? No, no. But Dinoc, here's the thing. I'd be super interested in like, oh yeah, cool. Like definitely teach me about how all this technology works and tell me about these cars that are flying around and mm -hmm. all that. But also just like Dinoc, I would be extremely interested in what happened in the past. Because again, you got to put yourself in Dinoc's shoes. Everyone that he ever knew 
is not only just, this isn't a hundred years into the future or even a thousand, this is 2,000 years later. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's like like you being born at the time of Jesus and then suddenly, now it's, zzz, yeah. zzz, and now you're 22. Now. Yeah. And someone just says, hey man, catch me up. Yeah. I mean, literally, like, think about that, right? Now, here's another quick thing, real quick, before we start diving into what he finds out. Even though the physicians kind of understood what they were dealing with in terms of, like, this psychic personality shift and all that, there's still something that kind of, like, left them puzzled. Mm. Even though Dinoch had been living in this future for a full two weeks, dude, he never once slept. He would stay awake throughout the night, spending his time learning the new language, reading as much as he could in books, even sometimes just staring out the window and just watching life in in this new future, right? But he never grew tired and never actually fell asleep. He did spend a lot of time using this thing that he called a Regenschwage. The heck is that? He just, dude, listen to this, bro. He describes it as a handheld device with moving three-dimensional images that glow in the dark with sound, music, and even narration. Dude. The guy is holding an iPhone. Now, oh keep in mind, for everybody gosh. that's just, like, super skeptical about this, there's a couple things we need to kind of remember. This is a journal that was written in the 1920s. And if you don't believe that, and we'll get to that later, that it was given to this Papahatsis, at the very least, Papahatsis, who we'll talk about later and why he would be a trusted individual, translated it through the 14 years after he received it. This is still well before, mm-hmm. you know, Apple. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page here real quick. I mean, what if, what if Steve Jobs read this? No, man. And then that was like the grandfather paradox or the bootstrap paradox that mm-hmm. like caused gave him the inspiration to be like, oh wow, let's let's put a TV in our phone. Man. You know? I mean, it's funny that you say that because the doctors were very encouraging for Dinoch to kind of learn about the past and study everything that he wanted to, except for they would not let him look up or learn anything about the 20th century. Essentially, dude, they didn't want him to pull like a a Biff Tannen in Back to the Future Mm -hmm. Part 2 and kind of learn something and then use that knowledge to either attempt or to actually change something in his past if and when he was able to return. Wait, so so you're saying that like the the officials or the doctors or whatever, they they started to like sort of believe this? Like like it could be a possibility? Oh, yeah, dude. They totally believed it. Wow. Because I, mean, I worked at a hospital, and I heard some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Now, let me kind of uh, reframe that answer. So the electors, the, you know, elder wise men knew of this phenomenon being, you know, happening. Not all mm-hmm. the time. It was super rare. But so they believed that it was Dinox consciousness in this Andreas Northam's body, right? Mm-hmm. But they did keep it a secret besides the physician that kind of, there's only two other physicians that knew of sort of, quote unquote, the truth here. Mm -hmm. Everybody else just thought it was Andreas Northam, okay? And they kept it a secret. 
initially at Dinuk's request, but coming to find out there was an organization um, that was kind of like central to the world's learning and stuff at this point in time called the Valley of Roses. We'll kind of talk about them later, but... Man, that's that sounds amazing. Yeah. So to answer your question, some of the people believe that this was real. Other people just didn't know, right? And so under the guise of, hey, you know, maybe him relearning history and kind of spending time with his friend, maybe he'll kind of like regain his memory. So essentially everyone just thought this guy had amnesia. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, but I mean, I guess what I'm asking is like why, by the way, there's a train going by right now, but uh, why did they, why were they so adamant about him not looking back into, you're saying they wouldn't let him look back or they wouldn't let him look into like, yeah, no, they wouldn't let him look back into the 20th century where he right. came from, right? So right. all of the info that he would look up had to start in the year 2000. But is but is that... <laughs> but is that like so... Because they thought that there could be a possibility that he would shift back? I know, they just thought that if he did learn anything... Uh, in the 20th century, most specifically, those instructions were, you know, given to him by the the elders or whatever, the mm-hmm. um, the electors, because they didn't want him to potentially change anything and and ruin anything. I guess whenever he got back to his time, hmm. I thought time was not linear or whatever. But anyhow, yeah. So here are the events as remembered by Paul Dinock. So again, this is. These are the events that Dinoch wrote in his journal that Papa Hatsis translated. Okay, so this is what happens on Earth over the next 2,000 years. But again, this is sort of like his sense of quote-unquote time we're talking about. Don't write these dates in your calendar with a Sharpie just yet. After these messages, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. All right, man. So again, folks, this is, I mean, extremely compacted, summarized of 
some of the stuff that happened. It's very, very the broad stroke version because literally you wouldn't believe the amount of detail. I haven't had the chance to read all 375 pages of this guy's journal, but this is kind of like the highlights, the abridged version. This is the, uh, what was the, uh, the, the uh, this is the Cliff's Notes. Okay. Yeah. The fun size version. Yeah. It goes into so much more depth. It's in, it's extremely intriguing. I cannot wait to read the entire thing because truthfully, it sounds amazing. All right. Yeah. I agree. So between the year 2000 and 2300, this is really when humanity kind of has some of the biggest struggles. The, although it begins to solve like issues such as like overpopulation, ecological mm-hmm. destruction, famine, tyranny, regional conflict. And, and and also has a bunch of interesting discoveries scientifically, like interactions of electromagnetic energies, uh, new technology that deals with like the usage of gravity and even spiritual energy, anti-gravity, all this kind of stuff. They're still just kind of having a tough time. Mm-hmm. Mars is actually colonized in the year 2204. And over 60 years, the population of Mars grows to be about 20 million people. But tragically, they are all destroyed in 2265 by some sort of massive natural disaster on Mars. And the goal of future Mars colonization is then just completely abandoned. They really shrewded it. Yeah, they really shrewded it. And again, I'm just going to kind of like blow through some of these here. Mm -hmm. So in 2309, a major world war erupts after this medium-scale nuclear war. And it has widespread destruction across the globe, and it lasts for nearly 80 years, wiping out the vast majority of the human population. But humanity survives, and a world government called a Rettstat is established in 2396 to try to prevent such disasters uh, in the future. This actually ends the quote-unquote ancient period of history that he's studying and kind of marks the beginning of what they consider in 3906, the beginning of, quote, modern history. So beginning in 2400, this one world government is formed, but it's led by wealthy, powerful individuals, which was still super corrupt. Countries around the world still have, like, strong nationalism, And so for about 200 years, there's a strong resistance globally against this one world government. Good. Uh, Eventually, though, citizens uh, stopped electing politicians and businessmen. And instead, the higher offices around the world were held by mostly scientists, engineers, philosophers, and humanitarians. Oh, boy. Over the next 300 years, society starts to reform. In 2823, this world leader named Torhild proposes a new economic system that is based on uh, what he calls global adequacy. At this point in history, people collectively start working for all of humanity together, the greater good. They work initially for 40 years of your life in your chosen field, and then after that, you retire, and essentially all the sort of material needs are met sort of by by the global community. Now, as... Here's the dude. This is what's crazy. As time goes on, technology and automation progress so much that by the time Paul Dinook wakes up in 3906, people work only for two years of their life. Hmm. They're educated throughout their childhood. And then at the age of 17, they enter into the workforce. They all work, they had to give up was all their freedom. 
<laughs> Listen, <laughs> they work very hard for two years and then they retire. That's it. Hmm. Because all their material needs are met, food, education, shelter, clothing, even things like entertainment, they don't have to work anymore to make a living. They don't have to worry about like, man, I really want to be um, this, like an artist, but like I can't because I have to pay the bills, mm -hmm. right? Uh, really, in fact, money as we kind of know it isn't really used anymore. Instead, almost all the value is placed on art and the pursuit of knowledge. Mm. People that are super passionate about what they do and the careers that they can, well, people like what ends up happening is the people in careers that continue to work past these two years, and I'll get to that in just a second, are extremely passionate about what they do. So for example, Andreas Northam was a physicist. The physicians that took care of this guy in that hospital, some of them were like the older guys. You can absolutely pursue like a lifelong career in any field, but you don't have to. Again, you don't have to just like work a job just to pay the bills, right? And if you wanted to, you could just live life. You could just live this life of leisure as long as you completed your required, whoops, hit the mic. As long as you completed your required two years. Now, just like you were kind of saying through this whole time, I know exactly what everybody's thinking listening. Yeah. What do you think in this? What would you say? If you could just sum it up in one word, what would this system, what does this system kind of sound like to you? Uh, number one, it's kind of, like a socialist kind of thing. There we go. Or, or communist type okay. thing. It's mainly socialism because, um, and again, because we have promised ourselves, but also you listener to always and forever keep this podcast. There's plenty of stuff if you want to go listen to political debates and mm -hmm. stuff that exists well, out there. That's what, hold on now. Okay. But here's the thing. I will say, so in other words, listener, don't get upset. I'm not trying to debate anything with you and either is Tyler. We're not going to debate with each other. But we can say, I think, we can all agree, uh, historically. It's never worked. And why not? That, that's what I was going to say. Historically, it doesn't that concept doesn't work, and why not? Well, because we are flawed as human beings, and Thank it's you. a very you idealistic. what I'm saying? Like, I don't even tell you anything about the episode. <laughs> I just... I should well, be like we should. I should have been a lawyer. Yeah. Well, Dude, you're, you're right on the money, but let me just stop you right there. Okay. Because I don't want him to go to look. We're well, well can I can I say one thing though? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and it's not even about communism or socialism, which I do disagree with because yes. we are flawed human beings. Yep. However, to me, the bigger thing almost would be you know there's going to be people like you or I who Woody and I are are, are a type of people that like. We've never been, we not one time in our entire friendship, and we've been friends for years and years and years, like best friends. Not one time have we ever called and said, "Hey, man, come over. Let's like hang out and and watch TV or have a beer or just chill out." Not one single time. Every single time, it's, "Hey, man, come over. Let's get some songwriting done." Hey, man, come over. Let's have a <laughs> yeah. a vision meeting and talk about like what we're gonna do the, with the podcast for the next year, which we still have to do. Uh, it's we're extremely motivated to a fault, really. But the problem is, is you're going to have those people, and then you're going to have the other. I'll be generous, seventy percent, who it's just kind of like 
laziness. And you see a lot of that in like younger kids. And I mean, I know I come off as like the old guy yelling, get off my lawn. But I think that's what would happen. I, I can't see, I think humans are at their absolute best when they are like pushed. And I, especially when they're passionate about something and they're, they're like creating or they're, mm-hmm. they're like, that's where we as humans get like our sense of like worth and like mm-hmm. well-being. And it's, it's because of like, you know, the old saying, like by the sweat of your brow, like mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is like sort of needed as, mm-hmm you know, to function as the way we were created to be yep. created. You know? And to kind of like expand on that real quick before we get into human nature and that discussion, mm-hmm. like I think that in every industry, there are people that are extremely passionate about what they're doing and it's amazing. And we've yeah. all run across that person. And, and it doesn't even matter if we're talking about something scientific or whatever. It could literally be the person that's like the manager of the quick trip. You know, I mean, and they I've just met like some take real, so much pride yeah. in what they do, and you're like, man, when you run a, when you run across that person in a different industry, dude, it feels just it just feels amazing, right? Yeah. But okay, going back to what you're saying, human nature is part of the reason why a lot of things don't work because there's right. always going to be someone who wants more, whether yep. that's more things, a bigger house than the neighbor, more VHS tapes on their shelves, more <laughs> power more authority, right? Mm-hmm. And so, want to work less. Want to work less, although two years sounds pretty odd. So how could a system like this actually be working in 3906? Why didn't human nature get in the way? Well, by that time, my friends, we're not human anymore. Mm. Okay. okay. Now, Like transhumanism? Well, type? here's the thing. And, and see, do you, if you listen to this, do you understand what I'm talking about? There's so much to this, dude. There Mm -hmm. is so much. It's so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, basically, by 3906, we're not human like we think of human today. We, the human race, has evolved. Paul Dinoch describes this phenomenon that started happening to people around the year 3000 called the Nebelverk. In the future... So, So, is he just giving these names... He, he's, he's just he, like he's just writing these names down, man, in his journal. He's describing, and I'm not talking like this seems detailed, probably. Maybe. But I mean, it, like, he, there was also a weird, like, a bizarre name for like the the iPad or the phone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. are these just sort of names that it's weird that he wouldn't be calling them? Well, what remember, they're actually, dude, that is what they're actually called because he's now learned a new language. Hmm. You understand? You know what I'm saying? Like, it'd yeah. be like. I like imagine you know like you using your example earlier you're born during the the you're born the you know the great reset no <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> no it's it's now like around the time of Jesus and and um yeah it's like 33 AD and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you go into a coma and you wake up and it's 2022 yes. and all you know is uh how to speak um, but but no, I'm no, just hold, saying, on, hold on. All you know is, let's say, Arabic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then now you've got to use your words to name an iPad. Mm-hmm. Are you going to use your words? Yeah. Or are you going to say it's called an iPad? Well, that's what I'm asking. It, it seems odd to me that he wouldn't. I mean, I understand that, like, he doesn't speak the language, but mm-hmm. it's still weird to me that, like, I mean, for example, I'm just like, giving the name, dude. He does go into extreme descriptions of well, all like this. Well, like the Japanese are really big on this. It'll be like, 
Then it's like Atlanta Braves. Like, yeah, it's that's what he did. Sorry, I don't mean to be offensive. That's what I'm saying. That's what he did. But why wouldn't it be like, you know, whatever his language is, and then like iPad? Yeah, that's what it was. It was like whatever his language was. So he had initially written it in. um, So this was like his sort of the the way like um, like the Japanese like the slang for would have adapted how we say lighter, and it's like brighter. Yeah, I'm being dead serious. Okay, but no, for real. Yes. But like that, that is, is that's what you're saying? Yeah. He, yeah. he was doing mm-hmm. that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's called Nebelverk. That is their word for this phenomenon. Okay. Weird. And here's what that phenomenon is. In the future, the human's brain structure evolves, developing a new sensory organ that gives people the ability to perceive a new plane of existence and gives them access to this like vast spiritual knowledge. Mm. They call this ability... Um, well, there's this other word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but essentially he calls it supervision. Yes. Man, that's, that's, that's bad, bad ass, a, right? Yeah. Okay. Which Although I'm sure it was like some sort of 80s TV or something. Um, what do you like mean an, by 80s TV? Wasn't there like an omnivision? Just the way it sounds, it sounds like, like something from the 80s. Yeah, except for this was written far before that. Yeah, okay, you know what I'm saying. Uh, okay, uh, but thank you very much for interrupting. Um, yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying, dude. But yeah, man, supervision. Okay, Here, here's what's so it, ultimately supervision gives people this like new cognitive ability of this like instant enlightenment. It gave them a sense of like incredible happiness, spiritual peace, divine joy, this complete acceptance of life and death and a disregard for all sort of like earthly mm. things the, the importance of like worldly things right so Which, we're like divine beings almost well we have that divine sort of like um, perspective or exactly perception right? or whatever here's the kicker though man and i think you're going to be able to help us out with this one <clears throat> this euphoric nirvana this feeling it came all rushing in at once mm. initially causing everyone that experiences nebelverk to die yeah. And so although they died with like these like looks of ecstasy and, and joy like on their face, man, they were so overwhelmed that they just couldn't survive the event. Now, when I was reading about this, I was like, dude, isn't there some sort of isn't there something biblically like that kind of that's that's reminiscent of this? Like Um I mean I, it def are, are you saying like how I swear I remember hearing something at some point. Um and maybe it was just sort of like Somebody's sort of interpretation or a cool idea. Is it but, kind of along the lines of like how um, like Moses witnessed God and it like turned his hair and beard white? That like kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Like where if you were to actually see some like heaven, basically, you would right. be so overwhelmed that you would just. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's in, I don't know if that's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I think there's some sort of allusions to that. Yeah, like it's like we view, uh, we we see through like uh, the veil darkly. Like we yeah. will never be able to, like it's just too much for our human. Right, we'd, we'd never be able to like mentally comprehend something that like grand, right? And yeah. divine. Right. All right, so here, here's something. Here you Get ready for some more synchronicity, folks. Mm-hmm. Beginning in 3382, on September 6th of that year, that would be my 
1926th birthday. Mm. That's the synchronicity. It's on September 6th. Wow. A man named Alexis Volke. Not to be confused with Balki from Perfect Strangers, but Alexis Volke, who was around 76, experienced the Nivelverk and survived. Hmm. Here's what's crazy, man. For some reason, now again, he might kind of go into greater detail within the book. I'm just kind of like trying to get to like the interesting, you know, the the sort of highlights or whatever. He survived, and for some reason, after that, everyone else that had it also survived the Nibelverk. And it started, it sparked this like spiritual uh, renaissance. Wow. You know, this switching on of new perception becoming sort of a normal process in everybody's life. And then Homo, that's the, around the time that essentially Homo sapiens then gave way to this new species of human called Homo occidentalis novus, which wow. translates from Latin into new Western man. Hmm. So, in the future, again, according to this journal, human nature changes, evolving from sort of our more primitive nature that was still heavenly. I mean, if you think about it, dude, so much of our everyday, if you really break it down, so much of our personalities and Mm -hmm. our quote-unquote human nature right now is so heavily reliant on like ancient past uh, things, right? Like mm-hmm. survival, fight or flight. Yeah. I mean, competition like built in our success DNA. on the biological level, dude, for sure. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so that ends up being translated into our personalities and society in general and stuff. And oh, so yeah. it would make this sort of like utopian sort of ideal and vision of the future just something that would be impossible to work today. Because like we said earlier, no matter what, there's always going to be Emperor Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No matter what. It's like everybody can be fine and happy, and then there's going to be somebody that's just like, yeah, like, no, 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 cool. But also, like, I want to live in a mansion. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in 3906, for this evolved human, it works. And it starts to, like, work beautifully. In fact, like, in 3906, man, there's, like, almost no laws because they're just obsolete and unnecessary. You're able to comprehend, like, empathy and things that just just the, another level than what we're able to now, you know? That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, still pretty skeptical, but... Yeah, well, okay. It's super cool. Yeah. So, but again, dude, this is 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Now, we can start breaking down, like, the probability of whether or not our brain is going to, you know, develop a uh, another sensory organ and really all the things that would be necessary for that to happen. But let's not do that here. Yeah. The the interesting part is that you uh, reading through these pages and stuff, like the working quote unquote for the common good as a species, rather than sort of like isolated segments of the human population became the norm. And like, because they were able to sort of like really just speaking on like survival alone, mm-hmm. kind of, collectively as like a, a, a the big village if you will survival became more prominent like be advent of like new technology and medicine and all these kind of things like d- death and light like everything was just like peaking man everybody's doing awesome everybody is in this like heightened state of uh awareness and like mm-hmm. spiritual evolution too is is just at a level that 
you know, it's just hard for me to comprehend even reading reading through these things. And he so, even so basically, like your to get sort of new agey, your vibrations have gotten so high that you're you're kind of like a godly being, or you're like an dude, ascended master. You, you cheated, man. Huh? You read some of this stuff, man. I, dude, I haven't read any of this. I'm just... <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's cool that... And that's part of the reason why I knew if we did it this way, mm-hmm. you would kind of unlock some of that thought process, man. Yes and no. So they're not like... They are able to tap into that... Um, they're like a yogi or like a... Dude, they're like Yoda, man. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're able to like sort of like... And, and truthfully, they're, they're able to like... It's like there's this amazing marriage of like science and theology kind of that happens mm-hmm. in that they're even able to like understand and using their technology see things like uh, basically like spiritual existence uh, coming in and out of just like the normal, you know, like let's say like we're in our studio and mm-hmm. we're like, oh man, set up the spirit cam and you'd mm-hmm. be able to see like these things just kind of like fleet free sort of moving through your reality and all this kind wow. of stuff. That's Te- really cool. Like travel technology is taken to a whole nother level. And again, are we like, teleporting yet? Well, not necessarily teleporting. There is a, um, there is something, hold on, man. Let me try to find that. Like seriously, dude, it, it gets so in depth that I was like, oof, I don't really know if, how deep we want to go into this. But I mean, dude, they talk about, um, hold on. I mean, I'm in it. I'm, re- I'm strapped in. Let's see. Uh, oh, Dude, okay. Since you asked, there's this new form of transportation. And again, folks, I know this is going to sound crazy, but let's all remember this is potentially 2,000 years uh, from now. Mm-hmm. Although, I'm going to pose a different theory in, in, in a few minutes. So, a new form of transportation they call, or like involving these like field gates, which are essentially portals between the physical and spiritual realms now exist. They figured out how to utilize, um, I guess, like the the vibrations and stuff, kind of like what you're talking about, to be able to travel from no one way. place to another using these portals, bro. Wow. Okay. I mean, did this guy, because, what, it's 1917 the crazy, or 1921? Yeah, 1921. I mean, the idea of any of this stuff is so like foreign. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, it's one of those things where if, and again, like we, I know we, we sort of pr- reference this a lot in this, in the show is like, you know, we're talking about people that are way far back and it's like, we're doing that from the perspective of someone who lives in 2022. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to be like, Oh, well that's a natural progression. You know, it's been in sci-fi movies and sure. And, you know, in the social, you know, or uh, like cultural zeitgeist or whatever. But like somebody from 1921, this this is such a far-fetched, like almost totally abstract for the time mm-hmm. to say. So to me, that's where these like little, little things that are just so outrageous, like these little weird details. Like, again, we, and I keep going back to Sam the Sandown Clown, but it's mm-hmm. like all those bizarre little details seem so weird and abstract to make up right. that to me, those are the things that like make me think like, oh, maybe there is something more to this. Right. You know? Exactly, man. As I started to read more and more about this, it, it starts to like create even more questions in my head. Like, okay, now that we're thinking, well, and we'll get there in a second, but like 
when I think about things like when we talked with Bryce and we're talking about the Bigfoot that like, you know, looks like it just basically walks into a portal and then mm-hmm. disappears. When we talk about things like yeah. uh, where the footprints in by Timothy Renner and uh, Joshua Cutchin. Yep. It's like the it's, it, it begins to sort of like piece a lot of stuff together, man. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and, and, and I've got an idea of why that might be in, in a second as well. But anyway, let me keep on going with this because just as crazy as you think it is, boy, we still got room for crazy. All right. <clears throat> so even the concept of being selfish is something that they actually like study as some sort of archaic remnant of this quote unquote less evolved species. Hmm. It's hard for them to comprehend or even like imagine being selfish. Right. Which is interesting. And again, these are like observations that he's just like making, right? So truthfully though, and he writes about this, he kind of finds the people of 3906 to be, um, well, just weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he says they kind of like walk around and act like just like carefree children. And sometimes yeah. it kind of gets on his nerves a little bit because it's just like, I don't, why are, you know, you're an adult. Why are you acting like a dang like, oh, you know. He's like, also, and, you need to be working. Yeah. <laughs> and and he says like, you know, he kind of takes a minute and he's he's sort of like in, in one of his writings, he's talking about how like, well, hold on a second. They're free of any anxiety yeah, to climb a corporate ladder or what am I going to be whenever I grow up? Or, you know, man, I've got to do this. I got to, you know, five jobs just to do this. And like even just ending up doing something that's like mindless tasks just so mm-hmm. you can like pay for the electricity, right? right? Yeah. And so instead, it's been like nearly 600 years of this kind of lifestyle, generations after generations and after generations of people that haven't had to think that way. And so he kind of starts, this this guy, Stefan, uh, who's now... Surprised you didn't do the Wedding Crashers quote. What? Five generations. of large family breeding. (laughs) Like Stefan, who's, who's now like, you know, he's becoming friends with, you know, cause he's just kind of gaining all this knowledge throughout this year. He's befriending this Stefan, yeah. And Dinot kind of says like, he, he kind of expresses his frustration with this like carefree childlike sort of affect that people have. Mm-hmm. And Stefan says to him like, Hey man, who's to say that all these things you find strange are like are childish instead of maybe divine. Right. And, exactly. and Dinoch's like, whoa, man, you know, hmm, mm-hmm. okay. But Dinoch then asks Stefan, like, okay, okay, look, that's great. Everybody's living in peace and harmony and all that. But, like, how in the world could these uh, 3906 humans, like, if we think we have snowflakes now, exactly. how, how can these 3906 humans possibly even survive, like, an outside threat such as, like, I don't know, aliens? Yeah. Well, right. what's funny is like Stefan comes back with, dude, and I love this, man. This Again, this story just has a little bit of everything. He says, oh, well, we've actually already been contacted by aliens many, many times, man, without mm. any problems. In fact, humans in the future are like very aware of other intelligent beings living around the solar system and the galaxy. But the interesting thing is Stefan says that, you know, they're not really interested in communicating with us and really kind of prefer to sort of, quote, study us from a distance and observe us from a distance. He wow. says that they've really only intervened with the human race on a few occasions, one of them being 
when we were on a path toward total human annihilation. I'm trying to think, in 1921, what would have been, would H.G. Wells, I guess? H.G. Wells and also... Um, trying to think. If and that, I was going to talk about this a little bit, but um, what's his name, man? Um, Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. L- Lovecraft would have been kind of around, and, and, and we'll kind of talk about that in terms of like, what do we think about this? Uh, I was going to bring up Lovecraft, but well, but I'm thinking of like H.G. Wells being like like um, like War of the Worlds and like mm, the idea of like right. Th- see, I don't know. I can't remember. I was just wondering if like that would have been something that because the whole this whole time every everything you're saying, I'm thinking like, okay, well, how would a how would a 1921 man like view this? Like, yeah. would he have would he have already heard of of that, like the idea of like aliens from outer space mm-hmm. or yeah, so Venusians or War of the Worlds apparently was first serialized in 1897. So, wow, yeah, yeah he would have, he mm. would have kind of had that that idea. Okay, so the years kind of going by, he's befriending um, Stefan. <clears throat> he's also not really necess- he's not sequestered really. He's not sequestered to the hospital really. He's able to like walk around, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, interact mm-hmm. with people. Stefan's now bringing him around. He introduces but, but he's still in the hospital, though, right? I think he's, like, staying there just kind of in case sort of thing, in case it does work and it does. But again, only he, Stefan, and the Valley of the Roses, but the, the elders or whatever, the uh, electors, and a couple of the physicians kind of know that they're doing this. Stefan introduces him to... A girl that was Andreas's girlfriend, basically. Mm-hmm. And over time, they actually develop a pretty strong relationship. Her name is Sylvia. And it's interesting, man. Throughout the journal, you know, he's kind of learning about their culture and all this stuff. But there are like entries where he just feels like extremely guilty because she'll say stuff to him, like, you know, like, I've just noticed after after your accident, you know, like you just seem like a like a new person, you know, you you've made me kind of want to remember my life and like enjoy life and you know, she starts to really kind of like fall truly in love with this guy mm-hmm. because of the difference. And 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 so he he writes about just feeling so guilty not telling her who he is and, and, and the truth and oh, wow. really doesn't want to scare her off, right? Yeah. So one day she says something and um, it's this line, dude, that, oh man, let me try, well, I don't know if it's worth sorting through this, all these pages to find, but mm-hmm. I'll paraphrase. She basically says that she's like, man, I really want to kind of take you around and show you all the places, you know, that I grew up and stuff because although I can describe them to you. You don't ever really have the full experience unless you go there because hearing them might make you happy, but seeing them with your eyes will make your soul happy, which I just thought was super, super Yeah, that's cool. Because, I mean, that just alone is like a really cool, true statement about traveling in general, Mm -hmm. if you ask me. On one of these trips, so they go on several, okay? And they're using these uh, vehicles that he calls Evigiosa or something like that, which is this flying vehicle that can take you anywhere on Earth almost instantaneously, which, mm. man, wow, pretty dang convenient. 
they go on a couple like different day trips and she takes him to like you know where she grew up and all this kind of thing well he secretly is like man i really want to go back to my village in switzerland you know this is getting closer to this year towards the end of this year and he's really kind of throughout this time he often thinks of anna yeah and in fact there are some things that you know remind him of anna in sylvia but really, I think the fact that he's kind of found a connection with another girl, despite it being, you know, another time and place, really, he just brings back more of those old feelings. And so he really wanted to go back and visit this village. He didn't tell Sylvia. He was just like, hey, I kind of want to go here. She's like, oh, okay. So they spend the day kind of talking and exploring. And eventually, they end up on that same hill that he and Anna used to visit. Interestingly enough, synchronicity, fate, whatever you want to call it, uh, the windflowers were also blooming that day. Mm. And as they were talking, Sylvie was kind of like fidgeting and doing something and fiddling with like the flowers all around her. He didn't really think of, you know, anything of it until he realized that she was making a wreath. And she looked over at him. And she said, enough for today. Let's go back. He kind of looks at her like strangely, like he like he just seen a ghost. Wow. She hands him the wreath, dude, and asks him to place it on her head. So as he does, he feels like he's just been hit by a bolt of lightning. Everything starts coming wow. rushing back like, holy cow. You know, like, we promised. I, mm-hmm. We promised that we'd be here. So he goes back home. But it's almost like she was, like, doing all those things that, like he promised to do or whatever. Exactly. And so that night, he starts to feel his eyes getting heavy. Mm. He kind of remembers his last thought being that he he loved that feeling, that same feeling of joy that he had with Anna that last time that he saw her. And finally, Andreas Northam fell back asleep. Back in Mm. 1922... Paul Dinek awakens from a year-long coma. I mean, it's just fascinating, right, dude? Yeah, it's awesome, dude. I mean, so he wakes up during this time that he was asleep in real life in Zurich. Keep in mind, remember, he, because of the encephalitis lethargy or whatever, lethar- the encephalitis, <laughs> the sleeping <laughs> illness, he's fallen asleep or he's gone into a coma in 1921. Mm-hmm. He wakes up like a year later. Now, he wakes up and he finds out that while he was sleeping, his mother had passed away. He also now is positive for tuberculosis. If you ask me, it's probably while he was in this hospital, he probably just caught it by breathing in, right? Because of this, um, you know, again, he wakes up, he doesn't tell anybody about what he experienced for fear that number one, he's going to lose his opportunity to teach because they're going to be like, don't let this crazy guy in this school. He's not teaching anybody. Number two, maybe even worse, they might just lock him up in a, uh, in a hospital for the rest of his life. And he doesn't, he doesn't want to die of tuberculosis in locked up in some mental uh, health institutions. So just like our buddy Ed 
in the Coral Castle, he decides to move somewhere that's going to be more coastal, that's going to give him, um, you know, a better climate to combat the effects of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. I didn't yeah. even think about So he moves to Greece. And mm-hmm. this is where he began to teach German and French. And that's where he met who would become his favorite student, Georgios pa- uh, Papahatsis. Papahatsis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1924, he really starts to succumb to tuberculosis. He knows he's going to die, man. And so he wants to go back home. I didn't read this anywhere, but I like to think that he wants to go stand on that hill one last time. And Papa Hatsis kind of thinks, you know, him just like knowing that he was going to die essentially might have been the catalyst that I guess made him decide to give these pages to Papa Hatsis. So he gives these pages to Papa Hatsis in the guise of like, hey, this will help you kind of practice translating um, from German into Greek and, you know, this will help you. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever, you know. I think initially Dinot kind of told him that he was going to go, you know, on a little vacation or whatever. He he died not too long after that mm-hmm. uh, and Papa Hatsis never saw him again. So, man, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, I think. Yeah. You know, we could go into all of the technology and all that kind of stuff. But I think instead, what I kind of want to do is talk a little bit about like what we think about it all. Yeah. Before we do them in, I know there's going to be a lot of questions where people say, you know, the, the skeptical folks, the more skeptical folks, I think will have a couple of questions on the top of their mind. One being, why did it take Papa Hatsa so long to kind of translate this and get it sort of published because the first published version of this, which was actually called The Valley of Roses, was published in the 1970s, I think 72 or something like that. Hmm. Um, And I'll answer that question now, which is he kind of translated it over the course of 14 years, sort of like on the weekends and stuff. Again, at the very beginning, it just seemed in the very, I'd say the first 20 pages of this diary is really just, well, maybe not even 20 pages. Maybe it's, you know, 10 to 15 pages of these pages would have been his diary about, you know, being young and in love with Anna and, you know, his life at home. So he probably just thought like, okay, what in the world, right? And so this... Just like somebody's diary. Right, exactly. And and this is a guy who, by the way, George Papahatsis was, he studied law. He even got a PhD in law in 1932. Um, You know, God, we'd have him on the show, but sadly he passed away in 1991. He was in the Greek uh, military. In 1929, he he ended up being accepted into the Council of State and had like some different, um, I guess, positions in the Greek government and served even as secretary of the Greek administration uh, in 1947. He was a very respectable kind of character. And um, it kind of goes, I guess, against sort of any of the initial skepticism of, well, this guy just kind of made it all up. I mean, I don't know, man. What questions do you have for me? Or like, what are your initial thoughts about um, it? So I, I mean, I am like pretty much a true believer in all that. And I don't mean I just naturally believe everything and anything I read or hear about. But to me, what that means is I I like to entertain 
everything as the possibility of it being, you know, true or yeah. or as stated. Uh, yeah, as stated. Yeah, right. And for this, I would say, you know, again, I I kind of go back to those those little the elements that are maybe a little more sort of fantastical or or left of center or sort of abstract, if you will. Mm-hmm. Those to me are the things that lend credibility, which I think probably to most people, those are the things that, you know, would totally lose them. They're like, you lost me, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm out. <laughs> but to me, those are the things that, I don't know, they just seem sort of like if somebody were going to be making these things up, those are the things that would feel like, 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 okay, you have a natural progression of like thought of like, oh, well, I'm going to make this up. And this f- seems futuristic, you know, mm-hmm. for somebody living in 1921. This seems like something that would be crazy for the times. But like the abstract things are the things that like a 1921 person thinking of like an iPod or or yeah. an iPhone or an iPad, like those are things that would never fall into that progression of technology to the mind of of somebody living in the 20s yeah and like to me those are the things that like just feel like i don't know maybe there was something to it you know yeah and like one of the things i was going to say when we were kind of like in that section of of this discussion was like you know you and i've always kind of talked about how especially creative people but you know when i say creative i also mean like folks that engineer and you know mm-hmm. uh, software designers and anybody that's actually creating something right there's always been some sort of like you know idea that or we've enjoyed the idea that at some level you're sort of tapping into something that is beyond yeah you right it's sort yeah, of like when you correct. hear you know Paul McCartney talk about when he wrote yesterday it's like he just woke up and there was. Yeah. It's kind of like sometimes we would write a song and it's just like we just pick up the guitar and start going and the melodies and the words and everything kind of just comes at that moment. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. something that's hard to explain uh, to people that haven't experienced that. And, and so like the, when I start thinking about it, this entire story, I start thinking like less about did it really happen to the guy? More about like, oh, does this explain how um, someone can have these types of ideas to create something mm-hmm. that didn't exist before, right? You know, people who have made incredible leaps in technology and stuff have talked about like, well, I dreamt about this and then I decided to make it. Right. Well, when you're dreaming about that, and this kind of goes into, you know, what I've kind of talked about on, I think here and there on other episodes, certainly you and I have talked about this before, uh, you know, in the past, but on, on the phone or whatever about this like idea of when you go to sleep and you dream that mm-hmm. your consciousness perhaps kind of goes to another plane of existence. Now, again, mm-hmm. folks, I know, especially if you are listening and you're like, Hey man, can we just talk about the Flintstone or, you know, like, can we just talk about <laughs> He-Man or whatever? Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Right. We're, we're talking about some pretty out there concepts, but you know, I've always wondered, dreams and things like that have always captivated me. And we actually have a good, great sort of listener submitted thing about dreams coming very, very soon. But I just had this, like, that's what it, that's what this made me feel like, right? And so mm-hmm. whenever I started thinking about him talking about all these, 
well, this hasn't happened yet, you know, is something that you'll find online about this. Like, well, his predictions didn't happen because, you know, this, this, and this. Well, okay, but what if if we're using that sort of idea that time is... Isn't linear. Yeah, is not linear and that everyone exists at the same time in all times and everywhere. What if, you know, like 3906 that he experienced was not a 3906 that we would experience. Well, and, and also I think, I mean, all roads for us pretty much lead to dimensional travel instead Mm -hmm. of maybe time travel all the time. But I mean, it's kind of the same thing that is my answer to the debunkers for John Teeter Mm. or like your time, your, you know, sort of more, I don't know. I I don't know if it would be like more sort of, regular or conventional time travel mm-hmm. tra- time travelers that we know Trash. of but time travelers uh but you know a lot of the debunkers are like oh well this didn't happen and you know there wasn't a civil war and yada 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 and it's like well if you entertain the possibility of what he's saying then he you know successfully you know got the the computer the IBM and you know, maybe this chain of events that happened by him going back in time, getting it, and then altering and changing the time, like, those things didn't happen. Mm, he's talking about John Teeter right now, listener. Yeah, John Teeter, mm-hmm. episode... I don't... You can, like, layer in, like, episode four... four, four, four. Mm. Actually don't have that. Just give me more like, work, I guess. Huh? I have, like, the lady talking. Season one, episode 29, the John Teeter time traveler episode. I guess what you'll do. This is part of my two years. Go ahead. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, like I, I like that idea. And then I also like the idea of, well, maybe who's to say that his consciousness was sort of moved forward into like the other body of the person in mm. 3906. Who's to say that that body wasn't residing in another dimension Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. where yeah, a, cer- a few little things happened, and it completely changed that timeline of that particular you know mm-hmm. line of, of dimension or the mul- or that sort of multiverse. You know, man. Oddly enough, in the John Teeter episode, we do. I remember talking about how like one of the things that I think John Teeter kind of said was that like you, there's you know multiple dimensions based on all these different choices, mm-hmm. and it's easy to go into another one, it's hard to come back from the one you originated in. Right. And so, like, now I'm thinking, like, oh, man, did Dinoc go into one that was close enough? But in that one, it's like, oh, man, he wakes up, his mom's dead, and you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean, like, when he went back? Yeah, when he went back. Yeah. And then also, like, I also imagine this whole time, like, um, although he was, you know, asleep the whole time, I, I just imagine, like, this Andreas guy <laughs> waking mm-hmm. up and being like, uh... You know, and so he goes back to 3906 and, and chronicles this whole entire yeah. other thing, you know, that maybe he jumped into. Yeah, that that was my question, too. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I totally would have forgot. But, yeah, did he, did they just, like, sort of swap or did, and, it, I mean, we really could have a whole episode into, like, the possibilities and some of these things that, like, we're fascinated with, with, like, you know, I think it could tie into the same thing as, like, remote viewing or Mm -hmm. lucid dreaming or astral projection or like all these even down to like reincarnation is like is is that what's happening is Mm -hmm. somebody 
just sort of like entering this other, like this consciousness kind of like floating around? Is it the same thing that happens with, you know, when people talk about reincarnation? Mm-hmm. And may, maybe this time it just, maybe he entered that like state or when he, you know, his like sleeping illness or whatever, maybe he, you know, he was presented the light even though he wasn't technically dead and he entered and then instead of him being born into like a new baby, you know, being born, he just sort of like jumped into this other, other, uh, other body that was already sort of living in the time of 3906. Like you could go so many different. Yeah. It's like a glitch. It's a glitch in the the matrix. And, and, um, you know, and if this is the first episode that you've ever heard of our show, boy, (laughs) I don't, I bet you're real kind of like, man, what did I, last week it was Batman. Right, yeah, And yeah. this week we're talking about jumping into other bodies. This is, uh, well, hey guys, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Dude, can I just talk real quick? Because another thing that I was so curious about is like, oh man, now this is, opens like this whole other world of interest in what do people experience when they're in in a coma? Mm-hmm. Has, has anybody ever experienced anything like this? Dude, I came across this article written by an author named Caroline Oh, I'm going to butcher her last name. I think it's Levit. She has a mm. bunch of like, I mean, just top selling books and everything. I, I really want, I'm going to reach out to her and see oh, if awesome. she might come on the show and just explain her experience. Because in like, l- let me just read the title of this article. It says, in a coma, I dreamed a whole other life. I'm still dreaming it. Mm. So... To summarize, basically, after the birth of her son, she got really, really sick. She had this mysterious blood clotting disorder, and the doctors couldn't really figure out what was going on, and they kind of panicked, and so they put her into a medically induced coma mm-hmm. um, with memory blockers. I don't know what that is. but What is that? I don't yeah. know. I'm going to... There's like a little link there to it. Let's see. Uh, what is memory? Nope, that's not. Okay. Memory blockers. I, I don't know. what We're going to have to ask her what that is. They... um they didn't want her, like, as I'm reading this, dude, I had a weird, like, I feel like I'm in another dimension myself. They didn't want her remembering the pain or any of the procedures. Um, mm. Is that possible, pal? <laughs> I mean, it, maybe hey, man, it just is talk something. to me, kind of just a normal conversation here. Did I just, am I striking <laughs> out, man? No, maybe it is. I'm trying to think, uh, like, because I, work, I worked in the operating room. Sorry, hospital. real dizzy, man. Well, and I, I would be around, like, like, you know, all the anesthesia techs and stuff and like anesthetists and a lot of S's. Um, so, I, don't, I don't know that it fits. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Maybe, you know, but long and short of it is she says that, you know, scientists are still kind of like trying to figure out what happens when coma patients are in a coma. Like, do they dream? Do they right. feel, see? You know, some people report that they do. Some people don't. Um some scientists believe that they actually, you know, dream and all that. She says that she doesn't know if she dreamed, but she remembers um, that when she woke up, she felt like someone had pulled her violently from one world to another, mm. as if like even that she had stepped from one room to another. She started to talk to her husband and friends about this, like living in this like sort of imaginary town, and it was just amazing. There was all these like stores, and she had all these intricate details. They kind of, she said, sort of nodded supportively. And, you know, as she was talking, the doctors would kind of come in and just be like, you know, you're on a lot of, you know, intense medications. And they just kind of like 
reassured the family that oh, she's just kind of essentially high. She'll and come that, out of it. Yeah, exactly. She'll come yeah. out of it whenever the you know the drugs get weaned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she'll kind of start having that. Except speaking says, of weaned, did you ever get into that band? I think so, a little mm-hmm. bit. They were super know. weird. She says that like, even though they promised her they would you know kind of stop happening, they they didn't, and she kept on dreaming about it, and she would even sort of like experience different things that were happening in the town and like a real kind of timeline. And every time that, or I think one of the last times that she had um, dreamed about it, she heard that someone that she had loved in that sort of reality or whatever had died shockingly. Mm. She said that she kept on dreaming about it over the years, always the same town, the same people in it, but things would change. She would move out of this house and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So anyways, in this in this uh, article, she kind of just talks about how, you know, was it a dream? Was it some sort of like, do dreams, are dreams products of our own sort of emotions and thought process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's just like so much to it, man. So, so much of this like sort of all the things that this guy described. And again, as detailed and as long as I talked, it's nothing in comparison to the detail that he goes about everything, dude. I mean, he yeah. goes into detail about how these people like, how their interpersonal relationships work with one another and, and just all kinds of observations, man. And, and one thing we got to keep in mind here that I think is important, this isn't a guy who his ultimate goal was to become like an author. This is just a dude that was like, as he said, a simple language teacher. And so this was all like pretty much posthumously, posthumously too, right? Like, right, yeah. So like this, Papa Hatsis was never able to kind of ask this guy about any of this. Mm. In fact, he even went back to try to find him. And what he found was that Dinoch might not have been his real name. See, Dinoch kind of grew up in Switzerland during a time when I think he was trying to escape the... Uh, you know the the tyrants in World War One, and mm. so he yeah. he kind of got out yeah, of there and may have changed his family might have changed their names, and yeah. so he he couldn't. It's pretty you know at the time his his mom had died anyway, so it's like he didn't have anyone anyway. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any way of looking up family, or he didn't know much about him. Yeah, in the pre-internet days, folks, we uh, we didn't have that luxury. Yeah. Man, that's that's super cool, dude. I mean, it's just super wild, man. And I, I just, like I said at the top of the show, the second that I accidentally stumbled upon this, I was like, for, first, just every little bit sort of intrigued me more and more. First, I thought it was a time travel mm-hmm. uh, topic. And I'm like, yes, this is a cool time travel story I've never heard of. Then it was like this amazing sort of love story, which, by the way, we haven't even like touched on yet that it is just like and you know i'm a romantic guy i Mm -hmm. the fact that like he i mean dude whenever i found that article that we brought up where i saw my name and ann's name from 1854 or something in australia i I, like immediately took a picture of her and i was like see our souls are tethered and like you know the fact that like that is what worked for him to go back to his time and then like that they ended up in that same place that they would go to just to talk and stuff. I mean, just, man, it's amazing. Well, one thing that I think is even, maybe even more fascinating is the idea of like, okay, strap on your your simulation theory hat, but mm-hmm. like this idea of like he's in the future and the new girl, they they travel back to that hill 
And it's like mm. she goes through all the steps that his old girl, you know, from back in the day, from the 20s, and then she kind of says and does all the same things. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like. She feels awakened whenever he finally starts acting that way. Yeah. It's like, was she. Well, here's something that I didn't add because I didn't initially intend on this being such a long episode. Yeah. In his discussions with, I think, Stefan, mm-hmm. they basically kind of determine this is like right before he kind of goes to bed and and finally sleeps and then returns. He basically truly believes that Sylvia is the reincarnation of Anna mm. and that that cool. was part of the reason why his um, you know, uh, consciousness was drawn to that time because hers oh. was already there. See, that's that's exactly Jeez Louise, dude. Yeah, that's that's where I was kind of going to. That's and that's amazing. How man. is this not a movie already, man? Yeah, it it really. I mean, it's over the top. It's kind of crazy. Maybe it's a better book than it is a movie. I, I don't know. Or was was Sylvia and the new girl were they just like NPCs? In the sim- in the simulation, that were sort of coded to do the same thing at the same place, no matter what mm. time you're in, and those were just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're just they're kind of like the what would you call that man? Sort of like in Vanilla Sky, they're like the programs. Yeah, yeah, they're to just help programs. Like get it back on track, or like in Free Guy, you Come know. On, man, I don't like that set. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, like they're basically placed there as like, as like. Um, like yeah. guardrails or mm-hmm. like kind of like you whenever we oh, play boy. Dungeons and Dragons you have certain characters that can kind of like be like whoa, whoa, whoa you don't need to go too far yeah, yeah yeah or you need to make this decision so that your life goes down this similar path it's like mm-hmm. what if the simulation has these coded beings you know set in place set mm-hmm. in like the same location and like they interact in in the same way and speak the same way and say the same things in a similar manner I mean, that's amazing, man. No matter yeah. what time you're in. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that idea, but can I admit something here to you and the entire audience? You already know this. I'm I'm so mushy, yeah. dude. I'm such a mushy such guy. Such a dork. That, like, I'm such a dork. That like, I really do, I mean, truthfully, I love the idea that, and this is going to sound, so many people are going to be like, come on, bro. Yeah. I can hear them logging yeah, off right they're now. they're mad at me. All right. Now, it's not my, I, I I love the idea that no matter what, no matter what time in history, no matter what happens, no matter what, somehow, we kind of talked about this before. Yeah, dude, no, like the, like the people that you are tied to so deeply in your life, mm-hmm. that no matter where you are, you're going to find each other again. What do you, I brought that up and said that you and I, I, I know, I know that, and man. I got and made fun of it. Well, no, because like I was like we were talking about, it, and then you're like, and then me and you, I was like, whoa, hey, bro, <laughs> hey, bro, I'm your mother, bro. soulmates. But like, no, but I, I do like that idea, man. Like, um, holy crap, hold on, there is a quote that he said. Oh man, where is it? What was it? It was something along the lines of like, like when you meet someone, love has a way of making it seem like you've known that person mm. f- f- as long as you've existed. You know what I'm mm. saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been in a relationship with my wife for a hundred years. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can say these things because she'll she'll never listen. So, 
this is because there's so much to this. I invite everyone to try and um, find this book. You can find it online, actually. Be if you're an Amazon user or something, I think they're giving it away free, like the Kindle version. Wait, I I just looked and I couldn't find it. So that's because you're looking for the wrong thing, and that's why I wanted to kind of make sure everybody was on the same page. So the okay. name of the book that's now been published is called Chronicles from the Future, mm, the amazing yeah. story of Paul Amadeus Dinoch. Because um, the original one was the Valley of Roses. Valley of Roses, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not fine. That. And so, again, it's like, you know, 380 pages, extreme detail, but a lot of really interesting concepts that he talks about. And no matter what, no matter if we can just agree on one thing, it doesn't matter if this guy really experienced that or just dreamt it all up. Yeah. It is extremely fascinating. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. And it, it just talks about some amazing things. Well, one, I do have one more question before we go. And I, I can hear our more maybe skeptically-minded folks out there saying this. What are the odds of the the student just making all this up? Well, again... You, I mean, what he, would be your response well, to that? Yeah, I mean, like he very well could have. It doesn't really fit in line with who he was as a person necessarily. You're talking about a guy who... He, he, wasn't, he also wasn't an author... He has a PhD. He, you know, was a military guy, future sort of like statesman. Statesman. Um, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really fit in with with uh, you know who he was. Mm. Well, I say this. I think that's a great place to start with that skepticism. Truly, to try and figure that part out. Like, is this something this Papahatsis would have made up? You mm-hmm. know. And then just use that as your means of exploring the story a little bit more. I, I think yeah. the more that I've read it and read into sort of the introduction that Papahatsis has to the whole thing, it just doesn't make sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and regardless, it's sort of like there are several different aspects to this entire story that make it incredibly fascinating and certainly worth a read. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said it. Uh, you couldn't have said it better. Uh, I think think, we've said it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think your uh, delivery was, was expertly done and, and I applaud you because that was a, not an, not an easy topic to get into. Well, thank you, man. Woody, where can we be found? Well, listen, right now, and again, I know we keep on pushing off this announcement, but right now the best place for you guys to interact with us is on our Instagram page. Mm -hmm. You can find us at that would be rad. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, and you can certainly message us there. We have a couple listeners that have recently submitted some incredible mm-hmm. personal experiences that they've had via our uh, Facebook page. But I encourage you, if you want to write it out, we can do it that way, and and then Tyler and I can kind of uh, recreate that story that mm-hmm. you submit. But if you want to add your voice and be part of the show, literally. Um, you can kind of do it like some of our recent listeners have and submit an audio recording. And cool. the best way to do that would be where, Tyler? Would be to send it to that would be radpod at gmail.com. And yeah, the more the merrier. We I mean, obviously we would we would love just as well for you to you know lay out an essay for us to put together, but I don't know, having your voice on there is kind of cool. It's 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 kind of you would be part of that would be rad legacy, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and cemented in 
history, really, of the show. Mm-hmm. Be sure to tell a friend about the show, if you don't mind. Just tell one friend out there, one coworker, one person at the food bank or your church or wherever, you know, pass it on. Also, you can leave five-star reviews now on Spotify. Well, I guess mm-hmm. you have, you can, you, ha- you have been able to for a while. But yeah, just give us a five-star review or two. It yeah, would, I mean, uh, it, it helps us, it helps other people discover us mm-hmm. when there are good reviews. And so for everybody that has already left us a five-star review, thank you mm-hmm. so much. And if you haven't yeah. already, just take a few seconds. Yeah. And new listeners. Welcome. Hey, man. Welcome. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much, man. Good to see you. Um, well, I guess that's it. So we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it Future would be a parade of